Fuck, all right, I guess we're on. So we are here on the Untitled Podcast. Um, I am sitting across from Stace Galbraith, 29-year-old surf coach who prefers to be called a second opinion guy. He has coached for Jack Freestone, Mitch Cruz, Ethan Ewing, Malia Manuel, Nikki Van Dyke, Ricardo Christie, among others. And he is going to be our tour insider on this podcast. Hey, Mikey. How you doing? Good. It's good to be sitting here with you. Uh, it's good to be sitting across from Mikey Ciaramella. <laughs> <laughs> or do you prefer Ciaramella? Uh, no, yeah, we've been Americanized, so it's definitely Ciaramella at this point. Okay, lovely. Stab Investigation. Ticketive Journalist of the Year, I believe. Mm, is that? I didn't know I earned that award. <laughs> Untitled. Yeah. Unauthorized. Yep, definitely unauthorized. Contest breaking down aficionado with a very keen eye for competitive surfing. It's, it's an honor to be here. Oh. All right. So the point of this podcast is we want to get into the real nitty gritty of professional surfing, competitive professional surfing. It's something that Stace and I both care deeply about. Um, we watch as many events as we can. Stace is at most of the world tour events and I'm watching them usually from abroad and writing up daily reports. So as Stace said, yeah, we both have a lot of thoughts and ideas about both the men's and the women's side and we want to basically have a platform to discuss them and share that with a broader audience. Um, so in this episode, we're going to talk about the women's world title race, which just finished at Honolulu Bay, the qualifying series for the men, which just finished at Sunset Beach, and the Pipe Masters, which are coming up in a few days, and that will determine the men's world title. Um, Stace, do you, where do you want to start? Uh, I, I want to start by saying we've been pretty lucky the last few days. There's been a lot to watch. It's been it's been amazing. You almost need two TVs to keep up with it all. Um, I think Sunset's a pretty good place to start. Or should we keep it uh, gentlemanly and go ladies first? Honolulu Bay was um, pretty exciting and they got really, really lucky again with a pretty amazing forecast for, for that place and how fickle it can be. I think the, the girls really got the chance to put on another great show and it was the tightest race they've had in in years yeah so yeah let's do the women first um so first of all coming into the event we had three women who were in the world title race and that was lakey peterson caroline marks and carissa moore carissa was in the lead by less than two thousand points which meant well that depends on basically if you count their their second drop score or whatever. But yeah, yeah. basically, if they were to both make the final, Lakey and Carol or Lakey and Carissa, Lakey could have won by winning the event. So in that sense she was behind by less than two thousand points. Caroline, on the other hand, could not have Carissa make the final if she wanted to yeah. win the world title. Yeah. Um and yeah, can we just jump into the conspiracy thing? Because oh, I feel like that's love to. gotta be okay, so for those of you who haven't been following along to either the writing on stabmag.com or the pickup episodes, uh, I've had a theory going for a little while that essentially started with Lakey Peterson in Portugal. Um, 
And I believe that Lakey Peterson purposefully threw her round one heat in Portugal. Reason being, uh, the way that the WSL seeding system is set up, and it's a new system that they just implemented this year, is that if you, so the, fuck, uh, the seeding isn't brackets. Right. I'll yeah. help you out. Off you go. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to explain it? Maybe you would have a more concise explanation of it. Yeah, the brackets are one to four, five to ten, and I believe eleven to eighteen. Which that's another questionable topic, but that's that's how you're getting your conspiracy. So yep. you're suggesting that Lakey <clears throat> would throw her heat in order to move either side of a certain competitor yeah so essentially when he says the brackets are one to four that means that the surfers who are seated between first and fourth place going into a certain event they cannot move outside of that bracket when it comes to seating but they can move within it so carissa moore comes into portugal ranked first and therefore if she wins her round one heat she retains that first seating Lakey Peterson is in second place. If she wins her round one heat, she retains the second place. But if she gets, if she doesn't win her first round heat, or if she loses it especially, she can fall as far as the fourth seed. And the way that this plays out in the grand scheme of the event is the first and fourth seed are on the same side of the draw, <laughs> which means that they're going to surf against each other before the final, assuming that they both continue to progress. And Correct. in the case of... Lakey and Carissa in Portugal, uh, coming up against Carissa earlier in the event was a huge advantage for Lakey because it allowed her to take Carissa out before she could reach the final, therefore kind of mitigating the amount of points that Carissa could earn in that event. And it ended up working in Lakey's favor because she got a leg up in the world title race. Um, and the conspiracy isn't just that she lost it, it's like how she lost that heat. Yep. I don't know if you've gone back and watched it, um, I watched it live and then read your conspiracy theory and I didn't really need to go back and watch it again. I, I didn't really think that was the case on that day. Okay. But I think your conspiracy has legs, just not in that scenario. Okay. So why do you, okay, should we explain, I'm going to explain what happened in the heat and then you're going to explain why you think that it doesn't have legs. Okay. So in that heat, it, I think it doesn't have legs, but okay. Continue so, on. So in that heat. There were a couple minutes left in the heat. Lakey Peterson was in second place out of three surfers. And in the first round, first place and second place advanced to round three. Second place goes to like the elimination round two. So uh, Lakey's in second place. She needs to basically hold off the third place surfer, Nikki Van Dyke. Nikki needs a four to get past Lakey, like a really low score. And... Lakey has priority over Nikki, but instead of going and sitting next to Nikki and basically making sure that she could not get the score that she needed, Lakey was sitting way down the beach with the first place surfer, Macy Callahan, who Lakey had no reason to be sitting near her at all, especially because Macy had priority over Lakey, which it just, yeah. And Mike Parsons is Lakey Peterson's coach, and he is just like, he understands professional surfing to basically a science, and he has told them since they were probably 12 years old to go, and if you're in a position where you can sit on someone and block them with priority at the end of the heat, that's exactly what you do. And yet, Lakey didn't do that. Nikki, of course, ended up getting a wave in the last 30 seconds, surfed it, 
whatever, pretty average wave, but she ended up getting the score and Lakey went to the second round, which then allowed her to surf against Carissa in the semis and beat her and get closer in the world title rankings. So why does that not make sense to you? It makes complete sense to me, but you are taking out of consideration the fact that Lakey has no control over that because she is the second heat of the first round. Carissa and Caroline both have to surf behind her. Okay. So... Therefore, she has no control. That's, that's basically, I think, the easiest way to sum it up. If she was a later heat in that day, that would definitely be the case. The idea that she wants to go through the elimination round as a world title surfer doesn't, doesn't really make sense to me either. I think when you're at the top level and you're going for a world title... You do not care about anyone. You will beat anyone, anytime, anywhere. And I believe that's what mentality most of the athletes have, which is proven to basically be the case in a lot of events. So Lakey had the highest score of the heat. Nikki needed a four. Yep, she didn't go and sit on Lakey, but Lakey also had not much to better. I, I, don't, really, I don't really see it in that one. Okay, so here's my rebuttal. I totally understand what you mean by if Lakey's surfing first, then she's relying on a certain outcome from the Carissa Heat to make her plan worthwhile. Hmm. But what are the odds that Carissa Moore loses that first round heat? And another thing that I want to get into is both Lakey and Caroline lost only one first round heat this year, and it just so happened to be in the one event where it would benefit them most. In Lakey, it was Portugal. In Caroline, it was Honolulu. I don't know what Chris's stats are on first round heats this year, but I would be surprised if she lost more than one or two of them all year. So I think it would be a fair assumption for Lakey to make that Carissa would progress through that first round heat and thus give her a chance to surf against Carissa in before the finals. Um, yes. <clears throat> so I definitely agree it's a possibility and I love it because I think it's, it's another side of tactics that you don't really hear a lot about. Um, but I just think in that situation, it, it wasn't the case. I, I watched the heat and I, I didn't see Lakey, A, purposefully underperforming. Like, she lost by 0.06. She had an opportunity to get a score, got that score. Nikki getting a score on the buzz is completely out of her destiny. Also, the fact that the difference between second and third still gets Lakey the same outcome as far as you're concerned. Second still loses their seed in that bracket. You have to win to keep the seed. So why would you want to surf another heat at Super Tubes? Why would you want to risk that? I, don't, I, don't, I can't see that risk being okay. worthwhile. I, I, in, in my mind, she just got beaten. If, if for your conspiracy to stand up and, and be like bulletproof as far as getting to the semis, because that's a long way away from the first round, you'd want to... You'd want to get second, which, you know, I just think she just got beaten. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Now, head to Honolulu. Honolulu, uh, Caroline had even basically more of a reason, in my eyes, to try to get Carissa before the final because she yep. literally could not win the world title if Carissa made the final. Yeah. So. Which, statistically speaking, is a, a real threat. Yeah. And. So, yeah, I mean, Caroline went out and she surfed her heat and she basically underperformed compared to what she's 
done all year long. She, like I said before, she lost her first first round heat of the entire season that day, and it allowed her to get onto the same side of the draw as Carissa. And there are some other parallels that I want to bring up, which are one, she shares a coach with Lakey Peterson, mm-hmm. like I said before, who is Mike Parsons, who's a really, really smart guy. And if anybody was going to figure out how to manipulate this new seating system, I think that he would definitely be one. And um, and to your point, too, about Lakey, I don't think, I agree, I don't, nothing in like Lakey surfing in the Portugal heat made me think that she was trying to throw it. And same in Caroline's heat. Like, Caroline even caught a wave, like, right after the buzzer that probably would have got her through, and she actually looked pretty determined to get it on time. But at the same time, the WSL has a rule that expressly prohibits match fixing. It's Article 191 in the WSL rulebook. So the girls couldn't just go out there and blatantly throw their heats, or else they could actually be fined or suspended from the WSL. And I asked the WSL if this new seating system, which kind of grants this loophole like if you'd be in trouble for exposing this loophole and they basically said yeah you can't do that so first of all the WSL's new system isn't designed that well if this sort of loophole exists would you agree um it's not the first time it's existed it's existed for years this system not Not, the reseeding yes but what you're suggesting about getting away from a certain surfer in a heat draw that's been around for a while only until just recently where third got eliminated in that round. As of last year, third was eliminated in the three-man heats on the men's CT in round four. Prior to that, it was a no-loser round. So those years that the CT had a no-loser round, plenty of conspiracy theories to dig up there if you really want to go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, God. Okay. And there's a massive one that I'll let you figure out. And if you can't, then... You're going to have fun when I tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite vague. You don't want to just throw it out there? Well, you've gone down a psycho rabbit hole with your Rain Man-esque drawings, and you might be you might be onto something. I believe you definitely are onto something, but I think you might be barking up potentially the right tree but the wrong branch. And I think that the years that the CT had and the WQS series had a loser... Uh, sorry, a no-loser format in round four. If you were clever enough, you could avoid certain people for a certain amount of time before you matched up with them, which would get you certain results. Right, okay. I, I mean, which yes, is you're get, being get, very... Gets me back to my point <laughs> of, if you're the world champ and you're going for a world title, you do not give a shit about any of that. Okay. Especially with events remaining in the season. However, when it comes down to the last event of the season, you, you would want to do that. So, um, Jack and I were in Brazil one year, and we were at a prime in Maracias. He drew Felipe Toledo in the no-loser round. The best way to not see Felipe until the quarters, because there's an extra round in the middle there, it's a bit one heap more than the CTs, was to get first or third then you would not see him until later in the draw. Instead of getting, I think it's 3,700 points for a ninth. Oh no, it was back when it was not the 10,000. So whatever, I'll just use today's scale. 3,700 points for a ninth, you, would, you could potentially get 5,200 for a fifth. Assuming that you're gonna, you know, he's gonna make his heats and you're gonna make your heats. And you would way rather lose to Philippe in the quarters than 
in the ninth round. Because ninth, when you're trying to qualify on the primes, is really just not enough. Like, you, you're, you're just happy with it. But a fifth is way better. So that was our plan. And that's exactly what Jack did. First exchange, nine to Philippe, eight to Jack. Next exchange, Philippe got a seven. Jack did a huge backside out that would have been a 10. He kind of made it and then didn't ride out of the foam. It was a, it was a one. It, the internet was blown up saying he made it, but we both kind of knew that he didn't. He paddled back out and burnt Hater Alves twice. <laughs> and just was apologizing to him as he was doing it. <laughs> he gets Noe Noe McGonagall in the next round. You're going to back Jack in in a right-handed beach break over Noe. Great surfer, Sakurama, and a big left, but in a beach break situation like that, you'd back yourself in. Then he got maybe David Dacamo or someone like that in the next round, and then Philippe in the round after that. And we, we could see that, and, and we, we learnt that from Mick Fanning. Wow, that is incredibly insightful. So this goes beyond just, yeah... It's on the QS. It's the coaches know it. The surfers know it. This is like really happening. It can't happen anymore. Only in this round. That's why I mean you're talking about the right thing, and it's definitely an available option to you if you want to think like that. But again, I would argue that with events remaining in the season, anytime, anywhere, you don't care who it is. You'll take them down. Yeah. And the the reason that Jack and I had that approach was Brazil was the last prime of the year before Hawaii, right? Anyone who does the QS, except for maybe Baron, would say, I want to get it done before Hawaii. Getting it done in Hawaii is amazing for your confidence and it's, it's available to everyone. That's what's so cool about Hawaii. You come out here and rip, it's obvious who's ripping and who's not and you generally get rewarded and you'll make some heats and you could find yourself on tour. But if you have the opportunity to qualify before Hawaii, come here and use it as more of a training operation to get ready for the CT, I think a lot of people would take that option. So we were looking at Brazil as Jack's final chance to put the nail in the coffin. And Jack ended up qualifying that year? He did not qualify that year. He came into Hawaii rated ninth and finished Hawaii rated 13th. Gotcha. Okay, so we started this tangent on the females who mm. potentially utilized similar strategies, potentially not. Mm. Um, but the point is that it, whatever they did, it didn't work, right? Carissa Moore ended up winning the world title as most people expected her to, mm. especially at a wave like Honolulu. Um, you were there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you saw, what you kind of noticed, anything interesting that stood out to you? Um, well, the first thing that stands out to me is it's just one of the most beautiful locations I've ever been to. It's really, really something else. You, you kind of, the sensory overload, like the whole, the whole setup is just amazing. And then the wave to match is like, it's, it's really incredible. And yeah, again, they're really fortunate. They got a, a pretty decent forecast, not perfect for it. Uh, the second day looked pretty good. First day was not the, not the best, but it was still pumping as far as you know any other wave in the world is concerned. But on its own scale, it was still had a bit more to give, but absolutely insane and the, the vibe around a world title especially when there's three people going for it is is pretty electric i think caroline the grom she was pretty happy go lucky and it was cool to kind of see her like deal with it that way because i think 
that's what you'd expect out of a. Is she eighteen yet? I don't think so. I feel like she could be. It's one of those ones where, like, you know how John John was like fifteen for five years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she's very young. She's seventeen or eighteen, and so it was interesting to see her handle handle it like that, and um, especially going into a wave where she probably, you know, would would want to have some areas to work on there like after last year it was well and truly firing last year and there was there was a few girls that I'm sure probably went back to the drawing board and went okay cool got to get better there and I think that I think that she was probably one of those surfers and it was cool to see her come back in this year and and look like she wasn't really phased by it all she was really really going with the flow and then yeah Lakey and Carissa are mother lions they are in the zone like headphones on in the back corners of cars and locker rooms and they, they're, they're, they're getting way out of eyesight of everyone and, and then you know watching them especially uh, especially Carissa she's got a, a really really good relationship with that wave and, and it really suits her surfing and it was definitely hers to lose um, but I thought Lakey did really well like she had a, a bit of a brain fart in the, in the heat that she lost I think she went a pretty poor wave with priority but I thought her performance there this year was a lot better than last year that might have been to do with the size being a bit smaller. Um, and I, I thought she could really leave that event with her head held pretty high. So one thing that happened um, that we saw and heard on the webcast, well, actually, we didn't see it, but we heard about it, is that in her heat against Tyler, which, of course, Lakey lost, mm. uh, Lakey apparently let a wave go with priority that according to Strider and Glenn Hall would have been a 10-point ride. And apparently Snips, who was also in the channel, was like freaking out, like, why didn't Lakey go, yada, yada, yada. Which I found really interesting because last year, if you remember, Lakey was also in the world title race against Stephanie Gilmore uh, when it came to Honolulu, and she drew Alana Blanchard, the wild card, in, I think it was round three again. Um, and... Lakey let a wave go that we actually saw on the webcast that was like the best Honolulu wave I've ever seen like it was this chip shot into just a six to ten foot fucking perfect tube and I remember watching just being like what the hell and then of course Alana ended up getting a good wave at the end of the heat and Lakey lost this year it seems like pretty much the same exact thing happened um so do you think I don't know is there anything to take from that does she just not quite have the wave figured out yet or is it like just a competitive meltdown like too much pressure sort of thing it's um i think it's a little more just knowledge of the wave i don't really think it was a pressure thing i thought like i said i thought she surfed really well on her one best wave that she had in that heat against tyler like she had the highest score of the heat like that that happens you get the highest score of the heat sometimes and you lose it was more the error to maybe not go that wave which is more down to like knowledge did you see the wave? That is... I didn't see the wave you're talking about, but I saw the wave you were talking about last year. Um, I was actually caddying for Alana, and Alana didn't get a wave in the last second and beat her. Alana beat it from start to finish pretty convincingly. And she that did, was, okay. It was pretty exposing for Lakey, and I think that was probably something that, yeah, she was one of those surfers who probably went away. And she even said it in her posted interview, like, i got to get better in waves like this. And that's why I thought it was cool to see her come back this year and, and look pretty competitive, like, against Carissa, who's just a really special talent out there and everywhere. Um, but I think that with that particular wave, it's, um, it's pretty easy to mind surf. It'd be hard to surf a heat out there. There's 
especially when it's that sort of size, there's some roll-ins that come in that kind of draw you out off that ledge and you won't even see that wave. It, it, it looks like a lump. And then the caddies in the channel, you're looking into just a perfect, perfect barrel going, oh my God, where were they? But when you're watching heats from the top of the hill, you see those waves and you kind of go, oh, it was only a three footer. Like there's six foot waves out here with six foot barrels. Like I could understand why they let that one go because it is a lot further in those underneath. Yep. Similar to like, I guess you could say Jack Robert sunset yesterday. Like he was sitting nowhere near those guys and what nine, what eight, what, what seven? Like you could definitely surf a heat in there. But I can understand why this year she let that wave go. Last year it was a different kettle of fish. Last year was substantially bigger. It was the best waves I'd seen to that point in my life. It was it was really really pumping, and it was really obvious who who was ready to roll and and, and who wasn't. And um, and I think that I could forgive Lakey for this year for letting that wave go without even seeing it, just because it kind of I can understand why. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's not as like as X marks the spot as it looks. So it's like kind of just a bad coincidence that it happened the same way. Yeah. Also too, I put it down to the size. It, this, this year was a lot more user-friendly than last year. Last year, I, I probably there was a few girls that let a few waves go and I, I get it. It was, it was thumping and they probably weren't ready for it. But the, the few yeah. that are really stand out and that's really cool to see because they're ready to go to that level. They're really, really ready to go to that A-grade wave. And when they get on a wave... You could be a fan of surfing, male, female, whatever. You watch them surf and you go, well, that was ripping. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me to, I want to talk about Tyler Wright, who Tyler's been out of competition for about 18 months now. Of course, she suffered a really bad case of influenza from an Africa trip back in like July of 2018. And she's been dealing with that. And then she got post-viral syndrome and apparently has just gone through the ringer. Uh, she decided to come back to Honolulu. Um, she, to me, looked a lot trimmer. Like, she seemed to have lost a lot of, like, probably more muscle than anything. Like, you know, she, yeah. And so she was really slimmed down. And I was pretty amazed to see how well she was surfing. Um, she, not just because she'd taken all that time off, but she honestly looked like she had something new going on with her technique. Um, her legs had a little bit more like almost flexibility and like torque in them and she had like a better style almost it was almost like she was like a bit of a different surfer um did, did you get that from sitting there and watching it 100 percent. i think well firstly i just want to say congratulations to tyler because that was an amazing performance like the the rights have got some special genes like that's that's really really cool and hope sort of when mikey comes back he can do something similar to see tyler have 18 months off like that in pretty pretty hard circumstances I, I think that you know if you had like a knee injury or a shoulder or something like that you could still probably twiddle your thumbs with other activities swimming or you know whatever jumping on a bike if it was your shoulder or, or whatever but I, I believe that Tyler was pretty laid up so for her to be sort of um, not doing too much at all and then to come back like that and see herself enjoying it so much like that was that was really really cool. So yeah, good on you, Tyler. But the the idea of her surfing like that, I, I totally agree. I, I kind of again, I feel bad talking about her surfing when you go through such like a kind of a debilitating injury like that. But it is a surf podcast, so I guess we can just rip in. It it reminded me of when she hurt her knee before uh, she won her second world title, 
there was a, a less push element to her surfing and more twist. And I th- love it. Absolutely love it. Like, I think that that's definitely an area that maybe she wanted to explore or it just kind of happened just because she's coming off the back of maybe not much training and, and, and physical strength and conditioning, but her, her surfing, just like the tempo of her surfing matched the wave rather than trying to overpower it, which I think that's probably what Carissa does really like perfectly. And I think Tyler has, has those same sort of capabilities and it was starting to show. And I think with, you know, a couple of months under her belt and then coming into next year, like she just rolled up to a second place. Like that's pretty special. So, and a parallel to kind of draw here is that Owen Wright came back from, he, he took all of 2016 off, was that right? I think it was 2016, And yeah. then he came back in his first event at Snapper, he went out and pretty much shocked the world and won. And Tyler basically just did the same thing here. Are they just, like, the most resilient <laughs> servers? hundred oh, percent. Like, I think that, yeah, they've, they've got something really special going on there with how kind of yeah resilient and tenacious they, they all are and i think it's um it's it's amazing and I, I think you know they've got really good support and i think that um you know i chat to micro about this a fair bit it, it's more about kind of um not recreating the wheel in situations like that and just being like a really good support for them and and i think that he obviously does that really really well like he he seems like a, a fairly compassionate person and i think that really shines in a situation like that when you're dealing with like super talents like that i i, I dare say that they're really thinking about how deep to get in a barrel or how to do a backside blowtail or get a 10 at the box or whatever like that it's more just making him feel really comfortable and really relaxed and and i, I think he's got that that formula wired and, and I think it, I think that shows in their results because they've obviously got the talent but to deal with those situations like holy cow that's a lot on your plate so to see them both do that is like really special and I think yeah I think the whole family and then of each other I know they're really proud I, I saw Tyler supporting Owen like when he came back and that was really cool not a not a dry eye in the house and then I know Owen um, just got into Hawaii the other day and I'm, I know that he's supporting her more than ever as well and that must yeah, it must be pretty cool to be on the tour with your, with your brother or your sister and be killing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty sick. So now on the Tyler thing, mm. we've heard grumbles mm. from certain camps on the Women's World Tour about how her kind of wild card situation has played out because what basically happened was it was expected that Tyler was going to return to the tour earlier this year. Yep. And therefore she was granted the year-long, like, wild the the wild card from the wsl sure she ended up not using it so she got last place points at every event and then when she came back to this event she took the 17th seed which is not the wild card Hmm. um keely andrew had been surfing in tyler's spot all year so tyler came in and took that spot back from keely but then courtney fell out because she was injured so keely took that spot again now uh coming into next year it seems like Tyler's going to get the wild card again, is she not? Yeah, I actually haven't really done my research on this, but it was just a no-brainer to me. I, I was with um, Jason Shibata yesterday, and I, I didn't want to really ask him about Coco because it's obviously a very touchy subject, but I just assumed it was a two-horse race for that wild card, similar to the men's. And obviously, world titles talk, and Tyler's got two of them, so... Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do there. Like, I, I n- didn't really know 
I knew that Tyler's seed would be really low, but typically when you return from an injury wildcard, you actually go to the bottom of your bracket. So Tyler, did she win the world title before she got injured the year before? Or, so, or did she get maybe second? Either way, she would have been rated very highly and therefore she would have returned with a seed that represented somewhere in that bracket. Maybe I think the injury brackets are broken up into eights, I think, on the women's tour, maybe. So she might have entered the event as seed eight if she was coming back from an injury. Like, much like if when John John came back from his injury, although he started the year with like two 17ths and two 25ths that year, so his seed was pretty low. But you don't come back as typically that 17th or 18th seed, so that, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, you, you usually go back to where you left, if that makes sense, in a roundabout way. You don't go back to your exact spot, but you go back to that range. And so, yeah, if Tyler was the 17th seed, which I'm taking your word for it on that. Um, she, she got leaky in round one, so she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's weird. So does that mean that you're kind of saying that WSL are acknowledging that she was actually back that year, but not surfing? Is that kind of... Yeah. Therefore, so, she's taken her injury wildcard that year and not used it. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. Yeah, but then I can't imagine them not giving her a wildcard next year, especially me, me with neither. this performance at Honolulu. I know. It's a tricky situation because Coco is an incredible talent and a, a, a very passionate supporter of the Women's World Tour and, and, and has, yeah, I mean, her resume is out of control. Like, she's an incredible surfer and... I, I don't know, like, what they're going to do there. That's a tricky one. Like, but I think at the end of the day, the WSL has discretion to do what they please with that wild card. Well, you see that time and time again. So I guess we don't even really need to get down to the nitty-gritties of what the actual rule book says because they'll just decide when they decide and we'll just go with that decision when it, <laughs> when it comes down. But I feel sorry for that situation because they both had legitimate injuries. One was arguably worse than the other. Um, but still still prohibited Coco from missing an event here or there and a couple of crucial QSs. She couldn't do the prime in Spain, I don't think, which is a big deal when there's only two primes in one year. Like, so, yeah, tricky one. I'd, yeah, I'd hate to be in that camp. <laughs> that, would, that would suck. It, it sucks. Injuries suck. All right, so I think it's time now to move on to the men's QS, which ended just yesterday at Sunset Beach. Um a lot of things to talk about here. Coming into the final day, there were 13 surfers who had a chance to move up into the QS top 10 or 11 as it is right now. Only 13. Yeah, I had 13 that okay. could possibly get in. This is this is bad for my reputation as being good with numbers, but this was the first year that I actually didn't do a spreadsheet. I just came in like a nervous fan and just lapped up every second of it. But that's interesting. Like. Even even if it was only thirteen, that's that's fine. But sometimes it goes down to like fifty, right? <laughs> which yeah. is wild. Yeah. So, which is cool. Makes it really really turbo for everyone. Yeah, of course. Um. So yeah, obviously Jack Robinson won. Everybody knows that it was. Poncho Sullivan called it the greatest sunset performance he's ever seen. Jack put up nineteen point zero seven points in the final, which is apparently the highest heat total that's ever been achieved at sunset in the final. Um, and in the process, um, he also, so, okay, sorry to go backtrack a little bit. No, love it. In order to make it to the CT through the QS, Zeke Lau needed to win Sunset. Yes. Now, Zeke Lau was the defending Sunset champion, and I think he'd either won it or gotten second, uh, sometime in the past. Uh, Sunset, Zeke? I believe he's won that comp four times. 
not the prime, but like I, I think he's got two titles yeah. in the ten thousands, and I think he's won the three thousand twice, or maybe like one three thousand and one of the one thousands. Like he's he's the modern day great out there. So yeah, you, you could definitely say yeah he is the most uh, successful modern sunset surfer. Yeah. Um, Jack Robinson had also won a sunset event prior. I think it was just the little three thousand or whatever, but still impressive nonetheless. A few yep. years ago. Yeah, I think it was the junior. Oh, was it just the junior? No, nah, I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's good out there. We know that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, in the final yesterday, there. God, there are so many storylines, but I think we should just focus on kind of yeah the final. No, I don't know. I mean, Fuck, it's all good. Like yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Like I think. I think the the cool thing with Zeke is like he had one result that he had to get and he knew it and he fucking by God nearly did it. Like yeah. that you'd have to be proud. Like that's a sensational day on the tools. That's you're in it and you surfed every heat in the comp. Yeah. That's all you can ask for. Like and then and then he knows better than anyone what sunset can do to you. Either it's your best friend or you kind of it's not. He was kind of weird because he, he put up some good scores on that and he actually got some good waves so he didn't really get iced out. Like He's got a good relationship with the wave and he found the waves that he wanted but it just was Jackie Boy's day and, and you, it's obvious he's, um, you know, for a, for a non-Hawaiian, he's got a very special relationship with that wave. It's, it's something else. Okay, but I know that you wanted to talk about a controversial moment in the oh, final. Did I? Yes, yeah. I did. Uh, being, uh, I think maybe five minutes into the heat, Zeke pulled into a barrel, did yep. everything right. It was a tough wave to surf, but he negotiated chandeliers and was coming out through the doggy door when he clipped Jack Robinson's surfboard, which had essentially been bailed so that Jack could dive under the wave and not be hit by Zeke himself. Um, now, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, God. Well, most interference rules... Uh, loosely structured around a sentence hindrance of scoring potential one way or another that's in there you know did they or did they not is generally the question and, and when you're calling an interference it's got to be black and white like they're there he either did or he didn't hinder his scoring potential um the replays are out there for everyone to see good friends with both guys don't really want to pick sides <laughs> but i know what my answer is to that question did he or did he not hinder his scoring potential? Regardless of what the score was, the score does not matter. Whether it's a 1 or a 10, it's scoring potential. And from my eyes, I, I believe Zeke was making that wave. Right. And so the way that that would have played out, you know, the rest of the heat could have been exactly the same. Jack Robinson could have still gotten his two nines, but... Okay, so hold on, question. If you get an interference in this way, it's not considered a priority interference, correct? So you wouldn't lose your second, your whole second wave, you'd lose half of your second wave? I can't say I've ever seen that being called at the highest level. I can't say I've ever seen that being called. I actually was head judging a contest at home and, and I actually pinned a kid for it and I got a bit of a blow up with the dad over it uh, and I, I did feel bad, um, but because <laughs> it was like an under 12s rip girl grum search or something but the kid had to learn we were at a little mushy point break and you know there wasn't any danger involved which is obviously the case at sunset like it's it's dangerous so i, I don't, i'm not saying jack did the wrong thing but he just i just think he got in his way that's that's just how it goes but um there was a, a little grom and he, he paddled to the shoulder of the wave into the green face and this kid was 
on his way to a really nice score doing his roundhouse cutties and then he had kind of had to surf into him and around him and kind of hit him and then kind of still made the wave and then you know basically just ruined his line it, it was clear as day and I think more than I didn't want to give the kid an interference but we had to let him know that you know and a lot of people on the Gold Coast probably need to learn this too. You, you paddle for the whitewash. Like, you, you don't go... The, I know it's easy to duck dive through the green and da-da-da-da-da. I'm not relating it to Jack's situation because it was a six-foot inside West Bowl. Like, you wouldn't want... No one wants to wear that. As much as you want to be a good bloke and get out of their way, you don't want to wear that wave. So that's why I think it's a really tough situation to call because there's danger involved. But in a situation where there's no danger involved, I think you really got to do the the right thing and, and paddle towards the whitewash. Okay. But this situation is a little different because it was potentially, you know, threatening to Jack's well-being if he wore that on the head because he was in a pretty precarious situation. Right. So assuming that if, okay, if the WSL judges had given Jack an interference, my understanding is that he would have lost half of his second score because it wasn't a priority interference. It was just a, you were in my way interference. Mm, yeah. But priority interference is not necessarily that way it's where the priority has been established in the heat or not which it had been because jack had just ridden away so so you would still consider that a priority? Oh, i don't know okay. I, I really don't know i i don't even know what the rule book says on this one and like i said i don't think i've ever seen it being called before yeah okay. I, 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 I was gonna send out a text last night and ask but i just kind of thought we'll just let it fly and so the, the point i'm trying to get to though is that had jack's second score been halved mm. he still would have won the heat um sure which is Yep. worth something maybe worth nothing I don't, I don't really care about that too much um, I think it's more the dynamic of Zeke's heat what's that score to you if he makes that wave yeah and he obviously they both, like, they both well that wave it's between it's between like 5-5 five, five and 8 let's say yep. whatever H- high on the 8 if they're absolutely loving it 5-5 five, five on the low if maybe he wasn't that barrels and the drama of it just made us think yep. he was getting more barreled so it's between a 5-5 five, five and an 8 that score early in the heat you're pretty, you're pretty stoked. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be enough to win you the final, but you've got one on the board, you're going back out, and you're going to be the first guy to put two scores on the board, and then you can control it from there, which Zeke's very handy at. Yeah. Um, and the, he, on lost the, his, he lost his magic board from the transaction. Well, that well. too, yeah. But after watching Stab in the Dark last night, we all know that maybe boards don't matter <laughs> as much as what we all think. Um, Did you see the Wade Carmichael incident earlier in the event? Again, I didn't see that, but I heard about it. And it's just such a hard thing to call. Like, For those who (laughs) didn't see it, it basically, Wade came out of a barrel, uh, was getting ready to do a turn, and then I think it was Ethan Ewing was Mm. on the shoulder. It was. And to my eye, Wade could have turned earlier, but maybe he didn't want to. And, you know, he had his idea of where he wanted to do the turn, and he kind of showed a little bit of, um, you know, just frustration with that situation but again it didn't get called um so zeke didn't end up winning the final of course which means that he didn't qualify through the qs he still has a chance on the ct we'll get to that in a little bit Mm. but the people who did qualify for the ct through the qs this year are jack robinson who just won sunset um ethan ewing who has made both triple crown finals um so not only is he on the CT, but he's in the Triple Crown lead, and I think that means he'll get a spot in the Pipe Trials. Well, he would always get a spot in the Pipe Trials via Billabong, but yes. Okay. So he has a chance to win his first Triple Crown, which is funny because all these little white boys are now just winning all the Triple Crowns, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, they've Griffin, been studying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's cool. I, I think that they, they, they're they earning it. Like, they're, they're, surfing, they're surfing to that level, you know. They're, it's... 
yeah, I, arguably harder to win than anything. You've got to battle through four-man heats, two comps in a row with a bunch of local talent who are arguably better than you and more skilled than you at these locations, and you've got to beat them all. So it's cool. It's definitely not one they give away lightly. So, you know, and three really, I think, deserving pretty good blokes. Griffin, Jesse, Ethan, they're all, all legendary. And so. I think Ethan has been, like, far and away the best surfer in the Triple Crown this year. Yeah, and damn, it's good to see because we all know he's got it in him. It's It's... Very emotional watching him surf. Like, it's just the best shit you've ever seen, right? The way he cuts through the water is so... It's, like, just unlike anybody else. The, yeah. Like, he doesn't... He never catches a rail. It's always, like, the sharpest, but somehow still, like, really elongated turns at the same time. Like, he's really just holding it on rail all the way through. Yeah. Um, I think he's going faster than everyone else, too. He is. I, think, I think a lot of people... Uh, you know, scratching their heads at some of his scores, but I, I think everyone's pretty well justified. He might not have that crazy back foot hammer that like a Carmichael or, a, you know, back in the day, like Sonny and Pancho and guys like that, you know, utilized to their strengths really well. But Ethan's got more of like a, a twisting carve and he's not doing it slowly. It's really, really fast, especially I was lucky enough to watch that sunset final in the quarters onwards yesterday live. And, even from a, a mile away, he still just looks like he's just got a little bit more speed than everyone, and I think that's that's been a huge part of his success as well. And his ability to change direction at speed. I just, yeah, can't get enough of it, as most people. Cool. And then another guy who's done really well in this Triple Crown and throughout the QS season is Matthew McGillivray from South Africa. I think he's like 21 years old. What do you think of uh, Matt surfing? Oh, it's, it's, it's great. I kind of been calling him the new Greg Emsley <laughs> he's ripping he's um I saw a little bit of Matty over the years uh, he got a wild card into J-Bay I think um last year maybe and he didn't do too well but he got a couple of waves where I saw you know maybe one really nice turn or he was doing some big airs on the bricks and not landing them but I looked at him and went whoa if he can if he can put it all together he'll he'll be a threat for sure I just wasn't really sure when it was ever going to happen or if it was going to happen but it seems like this year's been the year and he's Definitely got, like, his strengths are quite strong. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's there's a couple of dark horses in this qualifier list that are great. Yeah. <laughs> like, so It's, it's point, really cool to see. There's some absolute superstar heat, and then there's some guys that you're just like, where did he come from? So, and that brings us to Morgan Sibilic, who, mm. I, until this year, had not heard the name. I'm sure you had, being from Australia and being involved in all this, but I went back and looked at his... 2018 QS stats. The Are you most... being paid by the Australasian WQS leg to say this? <laughs> the most points that Morgan earned in a single QS event last year was 1,000. Are you sure? I literally no, just... You, you were looking at the Australasia, like what points they get for winning a, winning a comp or not winning a comp. I don't it, think so. It was. No, it, it, it wasn't 1,000. You get 1,000 for winning a comp if it's in that region, and then you become the Australasia champ, which is what happened with him. Okay, hold on. I'm pulling up Morgan Sibilic's athlete profile on the WSL. So this is what I was looking at. Is that not correct? So right now we're looking at a sheet of all the events that he was in last year. Well, blow me down. And I was right. You are right. There so we go. Wonder Mikey. He won the Mandara Pro last year. That netted Morgan 1,000 points, which is the lowest rated QS event. Yeah. And all the other events that he surfed in, which it looks like there were about 15 or 20, yeah. he never got past 1,000 points. Now, this year, in order to qualify, you needed, what, at least 18,000 points? 
Yeah, 18-1, I think he's on. Yeah, so he's on 18-1. So he obviously, and that's with just five events, uh, you know. Yeah, Yeah. so, um, yeah, he's had a huge, huge, huge year. And, like, it just seems like he's, I mean, has he become a much better surfer this year? Is that the only difference, or what happened? Um, I think he's he's just kind of grown up a little bit. He he always had um, that, that strength like the forehand frontside carve and, and, a, and a big backside snap, which did him well in Spain. And then his frontside surfing obviously did him really well over here. Um, but yeah, like talk about dark horse. Like that's, that's Australian surfing right there. That's he's, he's like what Australian surfing was essentially, you know, propped up on guys like him, just taking off on good waves and hitting the leap as hard as you can doing it two or three times, kicking it out and doing it all again. Like a Trent Munro type? 100% all those names. Like <laughs> Lee Winkler, Trent Munro, all these guys that just, no bullshit. It's really it's really cool to see. And he's a no bullshit kid. He's um, from Newcastle, but I think he's living in Yamba now. And it's so, so cool to see. I think that um, going back to like what you say about his QS sort of stuff last year and like any kids out there that want to, want to have a crack at it like he did the hard yards like you you just nailed it then I, I didn't realize that that was i knew he'd done a bunch of 1000s but i thought he got a sammy or something in a three star or something like that's unbelievable he did 20 plus comps and they were worldwide he then solidified his spot in the primes last year that was him getting into the top 100 with a win in west Oz, which was cool to see because as australians we're very very blessed with top tier surfing in our country but there's a bit of a gap when it comes to how do we get these guys like Morgan to the primes. And he, he showed it by like, you know, not that going to cloud nine is a bad thing at all, but you know, from cloud nine to Anglet to down to South Africa. And then, Oh God, I'm still not in a spot where I'm going to be in the primes next year. Um, I can either go to Hawaii and do the 3000 at sunset and, I think he might have done that anyway, but maybe not better at his results. But how can I get it done? And we, we were lucky to have a few low-tier QSs just at home at the end of the year. Um, that really kind of got him over the line. Um, I think out of you know out of his five counting results, I think he had one or two in there from that Aussie leg, and it was it was really cool to see. And I think it's a great opportunity that Australia can provide. Like only recently, you know, with a, like a fifteen hundred here and a one thousand there, and da 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 da. Like a few years ago, they just weren't around. You know, it, obviously we've got all the CTs and all the six thousands, and that's that's fantastic. That's that's great. But kids his age is coming off the junior. It's cool to be able to see them get a few points in their backyard. So that yep. that was that was sick. Okay, and two more things on Morgan. One is that he is not officially qualified. His spot because he's eleventh on the QS. His spot relies on David Silva maintaining his CT qualification post pipe. Yes. Um, or if Yago Dora happens to qualify via the CT, mm. then he could have Yago's spot. So mm. he's not guaranteed. And the second thing is that, did you see Morgan's heats yesterday? Not the interference heat. Okay, so the, the first heat that he served, which I guess was round four, mm. he got a nine in the very beginning of the heat. Unbelievable. Yeah, crazy that barrel. That was sick. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that is his stature, like his legs just hanging onto that barrel, unbelievable. And then, but then he failed to back it up. He had a one as a backup, so... That's it, just sunset in a nutshell, though, isn't it? Like, that's got to be hardly surprising. Like, you take 10 points out there however you can get it. 
and he got it with a nine and a one. But I think that you could also chalk that up to being a bit of a rookie mistake when you get a nine in the first like yeah third of the heat. You just need to go get like all a you're thinking four. is three five yeah. or just any <laughs> three five plus. Just get me on it, and that can definitely that can definitely cripple you sometimes uh, when you're a little underexperienced like that. But hey, look, at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. He got a nine. Right. And a one. Okay. So then he goes mm-hmm. to the next heat, and he just has the most blatant burn <laughs> of Stuart Kennedy. Like. The, he was going the, for his spot. The and yeah, and so the commentators were like laughing. They were like, "He didn't even like look." And it wasn't like Stu was being tricky or anything. Like he was just paddling for the wave. And uh, oh, we're we're trying to get a beer open here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So is that yeah. is that just uh, over excitement? Um. Yeah, that's just a brain fart. <laughs> like, oh, he poor kid, mate. He probably thanks, Woodrow. Oh, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> um, he probably. Uh, didn't want to talk to anyone after that and just go and sit in a dark room and wait for the contest to be over. I don't know whether he was that could watch the contest or not. Like, because there's still a lot of things to be figured out in terms of who was moving around. Yeah. yeah, but the one thing to figure out is just make your heat. Yeah, and don't burn anyone. That's the easiest way to qualify. The hardest way is to burn someone. The guy who's right behind you and you've just gifted him a three-man heat. Like. God, can you believe that? Yeah, and then, okay, so then Stuart Kennedy, who he burned, yeah. makes that heat, yep. goes on to the semifinals. Yep. I doubt Stu knew this, but in order to get into Morgan's spot, all he had to do is not get last place in that semi. Well, look, this is where the fun part comes down, and this is where you just got to know the person. And I don't know Stewie on that level, but he had a lot of support around him, and I, I knew that the support knew but to answer your question, like, did he, did he know or didn't he know? Well, you didn't actually ask me that question. I just interrupted, but whatever. Um, that's that's up to that's up to them as a team. And um, I would I would want to know. And um, there was a situation with Jack and Zeke um, the year that Jack did the CT and then had to qualify for the QS. We were just about to paddle out, and I I knew that. Zeke and Jack were going for the last spot, but Jack actually had a lower throwaway. They both lost in a prime earlier in the year, and they were both throwing away like a 550 and a 600. But Jack was actually throwing away 50 points in his favor. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was literally between them. And just as we hit the water, and Jack's not a numbers guy at all. Like, he, he, he just wants to surf. He doesn't care. He wants to rip as hard as he can. And, da, da, da. and I'm a real worry wart, bit of a numbers nerd, and just I knew, and I just couldn't hold my tongue. And I just said, brother... Obviously, you want to win this heat, make the final, and it's just done deal. You want to win the comp, and we're going to do that. That's plan A. Plan B is if Zeke Lau's getting fourth, I need you to be around him. That's all I said. And then Zeke got fourth, and Jack got third, and he beat Zeke by 50 points. And then Kanala got second at Pipe, and Zeke got on. Right. And that was, that was like, he, he and I were super proud of that. You know, like, that we kind of worked that out, and... and, and together you know again people kind of like we've been lucky enough to have some cool mentors and that people like Mick and stuff got us thinking like that like you don't just go out and surf well that was our strategies anyway like whereas like Stewie in that situation I don't know whether he would want would have wanted to know or not um because your plan A is to just win the heat and make the final and win the comp obviously that's everyone's plan A but a year on tour just to get third like I think a lot of guys would take that too. So 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't speak for Stewie in that situation, but yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be in that situation before and it's bloody wild. What do you do? Tell your pony to get third. If one guy's getting fourth, like it seems like, like a sabotage, but it sometimes it's sort of necessary. And of course, Stewart didn't get third. He, he got did not fourth. get third. He put up a four point heat total to Jacob Wilcox. Oh, and it, was nearly an, it was nearly an 18 point heat total. He was going for it. Yeah, and that's the thing too, is the way he was surfing would make you think that he thought he wanted to win that heat yeah. versus just beat somebody. Which you, you do. <laughs> you do <laughs> want to win that heat, and that's what you surf for. But with the clock counting down, um, maybe maybe some other... I mean, there was one turn he did where you could almost argue that he like landed the turn. He was right. like about it, to go into a bottom turn. In slow-mo, he made out. that turn. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was, an, it was a... And that turn would have probably put him into third place. I mean, that was a five-point turn easily, right? More. Yeah. Way more. Way more. First section of the wave is where all the risk is, and him hitting that section like that, like first section of the wave, people doing big turns on the bowl and getting good scores. He did a big turn on the first section of the wave with the whole rest of the wave to go. Like Judges would have eaten that up. I'm claiming that could have been near excellent for one turn. Just, well, just the drama of it, and you don't see a lot of first turns like that at sunset. Yeah. You see a lot of huge turns at the end of the wave, which are, they're all amazing, but to do like a turn like that at the start of the wave, it's really, really committed. And yeah, man, he nearly made it. He, he just came down like half an inch too narrow, I think, of his regular stance without kind of realizing, as you would after falling out of the lip four foot and <laughs> yeah. seeing the rest of the wave to go. I'm sure he got a bit of blood in it and thought, here we go, I'm on here, which he was almost. So the rest of the QS field that will be moving on to the CT are, I think all of them are past CT surfers. So we have Frederico Marais, Jadson Andre, Yago Dora, Alex Hibero, Miguel Pupo, Connor O'Leary, and David Silva. Um, does anybody on that list interest you? Ethan Ewing is also. Been... Well, but we talked about Ethan. Oh, right. Did we? We can talk about him more. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody um, else. Does, any, does anybody in that list uh, interest me? Um, I'm over the moon, as is the rest of Australia and probably the world with Jack Robinson qualifying. I feel like him and Ethan are in similar categories of just, you just love watching them both surf. Like they could be Australian, American, Brazilian, like wouldn't really matter. They're just, they're just incredible to watch, especially Jack when the waves get good. Like, yeah, it goes without saying we've spoken about him a lot too. He's, he's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with the Aussies and go Morgan, like Bell's six foot, <laughs> you know, he, he could be really do some damage if he can just, you know, keep doing what he's doing and, and not get too far ahead of himself and stick to what he's good at. Like it'd be, it'd be cool to see him take some names because, um, are we allowed to plug another pro- another podcast here, or yeah, ah, well, Bede sort of mentioned at his podcast with the Swellians that early days with him and Kelly, like Kelly hadn't profiled him yet, and that's huge. When people don't know what you can do or what you like to do, if you can kind of take advantage of that and get off to a good start on the CT, like you get that confidence, you you, you don't look back. You know, yeah. it's it's really cool. Whereas if you cop a couple of thirteenths or whatever they are, seventeenths straight off the bat, then People kind of see, oh, he likes the inside or he likes going the first wave of the set or he gets a bit nervous if you drop a six on him or whatever. But if you can kind of come on with Morgan, like similar to Ethan when Ethan qualified, like very low profiles, very, very low. You think Ethan did? I thought Ethan was pretty elevated. Well, until Ethan got second at the US Open, no, no one had any idea what, what his name was. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, but to me, it sounds like you're 
skirting around all the past CT guys that have made their way once again onto the CT through the QS. No, I'm not. You just asked me who I thought would be interesting. Okay, so well, that's what I'm. So, okay. <laughs> My next question is: Do you think that the QS is a like a, a true test of like who should be on the CT? It's getting way better. Okay. It's getting way better, and that's thanks to um, Hawaii always like they've been a huge supporter of development surfing for an eternity so that's awesome we're very lucky to have these events over here because without them it would look a little slim pickings on the quality wave sides and then right behind them is a place like portugal portugal right now seems to love surfing they've got a ct a prime well a ten thousand. sorry like you mean a challenger whatever (laughs) (sighs) um and that's sick because Irisira is like, you look at look at the guys who kind of squeaked in at the end there, you know, your Ethan's and uh, kind of had a pretty consistent year. I think he got like a fifth at the US Open and, and um, he might have got a fifth in Portugal. Um, um, yeah, so he got a fifth in Portugal and then came home with a few results here just to top up and, and make him secure. Um, and then Ethan is basically did like a Michelle Perez or a Geordie or a Jaddy. Like he did it, he did it in three comps. Yep. Which is what, which is what some CT guys do sometimes, just accidentally. <laughs> you know, like Michelle Perez is notorious for that. Like he would just, oh yeah, I'm in Portugal. I'll, I'll do this, you know, ten thousand. Oh, third. Oh, trip. I won the triple crown suite, a first and a fourth or something. And oh, Michelle Perez just got fourth on the QE. <laughs> and you know, here are the boys who've done twenty events all year and come a fiftieth. <laughs> yeah. Damn. And it just goes to show, at the end of the day, good surfing ultimately shines through and i think surfers like ethan and jack were huge huge examples of that today it was just uh yesterday sorry it was just great to see them get their opportunities to ride waves and and, and execute it was unbelievable cool all right so i think we should move on to pipe now okay um coming into the pipe masters the waiting period is like four or five days away yeah and right now there are two or three major northwest swells stacked on top of one another for the period, which is really, really, really exciting. Um, and of course, we have a five-man world title race. Italo Ferreira, Gabriel Medina, uh, Felipe Toledo, Jordi Smith, Kolohe, and Dino. Um, Kolohe is pretty much not really in it. The other four have a legitimate shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, what are your just like straight fucking thoughts? Who's going to win and what's it going to take? Are they going to have to like win the comp to win the world title? Italo's going to win. He's going to win the comp. And it's going to be a really cool modern era bro down of title madness. Awesome. And is that just based off of the fact that he's been here for like a month and a half getting pipe on pretty much every day? Mm, no, I'd put that down to the fact that ever since he's been sponsored by Billabong, he's been here for a month and a half and he's been doing that every winter. So I hope for his sake that that work ethic and that pays off. I mean, he's definitely sneaks off to off the wall lefts here and there, which we've seen over the years, once or twice with a couple of small airs. But he definitely, I think, has taken it, his opportunity with a brand like Billabong and fully maximized it like it's it'd be cool to see that kind of pay off i think and i'm kind of never surfed out there um obviously when it's like what they're probably going to be surfing in the comp but i kind of agree with what nathan florence said the other day like just from a beach angle nathan's obviously in the water um but you see it all go on some waves where you're like is this guy for real and that was a 
fucking closeout. That was a dead set. There was no chance. There was no one shooting. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, I, I think that if this swell looks like that, like, he's not scared. He'll, he'll go. It, 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 it's going to be great. And then, I mean, yeah, Gabby doesn't need any introduction. He's a fucking madman out there. Too. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, mm-hmm. if Gabby wins the comp, he wins the title as well. It's that close between them. Yeah. So how do you think their skills kind of compare out there? I think Gabby's better out there. But I just, just gonna stick stick my neck out and go with Italo. Like, it's you know he's in front. He's kind of feeling the juju. He's coming off a win. It seems it seems to me like if it was gonna be kind of smaller or more backdoor, that Gabby would have a big advantage. His backside out there, I don't think, is really touched by anyone. But forehand, I think it's maybe a ten percent gap between him and Italo. At least from what I've seen, like Italo is knifing into like really substantial waves out there yeah I'd, I'd agree I think Gabby's skill set is is higher um, but a lot of those a lot of those big waves uh, sorry big scores come from the wave doing the talking and Italo's not afraid to put himself behind the peak or on the peak and fall out of the sky <laughs> do Jordy Chance do Jordy Chance do Jordy Smith and Felipe Toledo have a chance legitimately in, in big pipe Jordy yes Felipe is he is he still kind of hurt? I don't really haven't don't really know. He put an Instagram clip up a couple of weeks ago of him surfing lowers. Um, so I guess he's getting at least water time, and I don't know if his back is at a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Jordy, yes, Philippe, skeptical. Jordy was amazing out there last year. Like, got a third. Almost. Argu- arguably got a third. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, again, he's maybe a little later to the party than someone like Italo as far as, like, how they've sort of designed their career around Pipeline. Um, Jordy obviously living over here now or, or spends a lot of time here, and, and that's, that, that shows in, in his, like, most recent performances. I guess he's never really been, like, out of it. He's just not, like, been in that realm of, you know, John John or, or Gabe, but he's certainly... A threat like last year he was he was great like in, so impressive left and right come from behind winning from start to finish he kind of had it all and then obviously when you've got the force field around you like you do with Gabriel like you've really got to beat him by three points as you do with all the world title contenders I think we've seen that over the years like when you when you're beating these guys you've, you've absolutely got to flog them because if it's a 50-50 coin flip they genuinely go with the title guy and I thought Geordie was on the the wrong side of that last year so it goes to show he's got the he's got the skills and he's he's got the a result under his belt now like i think that's his best result out there a third mm-hmm. i'm not too sure not um, made a final i don't think he's made a final but um it is cool to see it was really cool to see because i know that's probably something that he's been working on over the years i think he's had some harsh critics online maybe you uh you know letting him know so it, it, he's definitely got a chance for sure yeah it's awesome to me though when guys like jordy uh, take that criticism because it's it would be so easy to just either one get you think defensive. he's taking it from you well from everyone <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's coming from all angles I'm it is sure. coming from all angles I know I know it is for him and, and yeah I agree it's cool when you see him like um, but also when you're seeing it doing it for them yeah like he's obviously doing it for himself he's not doing it because we're all sitting back here going oh, I don't know about Geordie like he's doing it because he's going you know what I'm fucking ready and if I, this is my dream and if I want to pull it off I've got to fucking get good out there and Nothing wrong with wanting to get good out there. It's a it'd be a sight only a few people get to see inside a 
huge pipe cave. So it's pretty pretty sick to see him really tapping into that. Yeah, but as you alluded to before, it's also worth noting that the third, fourth, and fifth place surfers, Jordi, Felipe, and Kolohe are all injured to a degree. Uh, Jordi has a rib thing that he's been dealing with for over a week. Felipe and Kolohe both have back issues. Mm. Um, so that will not help their cause. Yeah. And I think the fact that they're going up against two of the most dominant Goofy-footed surfers at Big Pipe will also make it very difficult for yep. them to get the leg up. And they're already mm. coming from behind as exactly. well. Exactly. So, yeah. I know the forecast is stacked up in, like, particularly Gabby's favor, just because of his record, and Italo, because he's an absolute mad dog. But I just want to throw out a little disclaimer that if it's, like, three to six feet, and maybe clean and a bit more backdoor than Pipe, Kolohe is freaking deadly. He is. I think- he's really clever. He's really, really clever. And he is a master manipulator of heat situations like right up there with the best of them so if it's that sort of i know he obviously charges too but i I don't know that he's better than gabby out there and then but if it's in that if it's in that smaller range like him at chokes over the last couple of years when it's been in that range he's been really really skilled really good to watch so if it's in that size like if this swell gets too big or whatever and it's just washing through and they don't run or whatever it's not looking like that but um, if it gets a bit more of that sort of six foot size, I think, yeah, he could be, yeah, he's a really good tube rider. And one of the most like dynamic tube, like he has more like board movement than like anyone ever. Mm. Like he's doing like four yeah. pumps in each barrel. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Which is cool to see. Like he obviously grew up in San Clemente, like yeah. he's developing that skill as he goes and it's, it's coming along really well. He's, he's been definitely not like a, a someone you go, oh, Kalei's got no chance. Like he's, he's been, been on fire this year. The other thing, of course, at Pipe that we need to talk about is the requalification situation. Um, looking at the current rankings, obviously the top 22 move on to the 2020 CT. Um, right now, I'm just going to read down the list from number 20 uh, because that seems like kind of the last place that could maybe be taken over. So we've got Griffin Colapinto at 20, David Silva, 21. Remember, he's double qualified right now. Um, Pedersen Crisanto, 22, William Cardoso, 23, Michael Rodriguez, 24, Iago Dora, 25. A lot of Brazilians right on that little bubble zone. Um, and then, yeah, going all the way down to... Wow, so pretty much... Am I right that pretty much everyone down to, like, almost Ricardo? No, so Ricardo can't... Or he can if he drops at 30. Yeah, so everyone, even down to Ricardo Christie, could theoretically requalify if they won pipe yep so yeah anyone down to the 33rd spot on tour who is actually the last full-time tour surfer ricardo christie could theoretically requalify at pipe um yeah a lot to talk about there who do you think in this little uh right now in in the qualification so Pedersen, david and griffin who do you think is seriously in danger um i wouldn't necessarily see that changing too much to be honest I think the chasing surfers immediately behind being William and Nemrod um, a little bit a little bit green out there I know that uh, Michael's been putting in a fair bit of time just recently um, but he's in you know he's in a bit of strife there he's he's coming 24th and he's at the moment he'd need like a ninth to be a threat 
and I, obviously you've seen some weird strange things go down out there with lulls and slow funny heats and stuff like that so anything's possible but I, I just don't see the, the chasing immediate chasing pack being able to, to get to get the job done I'd be more I'd be more point my attention towards people like Jean Derue, Seabass and Zeke even though they're further down their their track records out there are, are, are pretty good and well, very good especially Zeke and, and uh, Seabass they've proven out there you know a lot of time in, in Rashies you know I don't think either of them have won a comp there but they've always been doing the Vulcan Pipe Pros and I think Bass got fifth one year the year that he won the Triple Crown like he's an unbelievable talent. I'll be sad to see him go if, if he can't pull it off. I'm really pulling for him. He's he's a special surfer. So I have a couple points here. One is that I've been out at Pipe a couple times since I've been in Hawaii, mainly just sitting there watching everybody else get barreled. Yeah. And I saw William out there one day on, like, I guess what I'd call, like, a six- to eight-foot day, like, still in that manageable zone, I would say, where it's not, like, terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was the opposite of impressive. He looked kind of like a fucking buoy out there. And that's not meant to be a fat joke. But yeah. And then Michael Rodriguez, I was also out there one evening with him, and it was a bit bigger. And there was a second reef wave that basically rolled through the whole lineup, took everybody out. Mm. And I'm not sure if he hit the reef or if there was some sort of, like, underwater collision with another person, but he came up with a huge slice in the side of his head. Um, so he's been wearing a helmet for the past little bit. And winning, I a few, winning a few Aussie fans over with that, I reckon. Yeah, the old Boys gaff. are right behind the gaff at the moment. Yeah, and so who else would be in a gaff? We'll have Jeremy, maybe? Owen? Well, when Chopes, obviously, was 100 foot, um, it was about three or four guys, yeah? Bass, yeah. Owen. Oh, yeah, Bass, that's right. Oh, because he's the daddy now. Jeremy? So he... Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, which... <laughs> that wifey pressure. It, absolutely. I mean, you know, Nathan Fletcher you talks know, about you his just had a kid. Um, you know, it's like fucking real deal. <laughs> no joke. Surfing's hardcore, especially at that wave. Um, so, but yeah, yeah. Back, back to your point. I agree. I think William and Michael, it would take basically a miracle for them to get yeah. the ninth that they need. Um, yeah, and, and the thing with William, like that I respect about him is like, he was open about that after chopes, you know, like he, he, he wrote a pretty personal heartfelt message on his Instagram and, and it was, you know, you know, get it. Like, yeah. If you grew up where you grew up and you have limited resources and you have this much money and you, you do what you can do and he dreams to make the world tour and he fucking did it. But all of a sudden you come to these events and you, he's probably not prepared and this is one of them. And it might, might cost him his spot on tour because he didn't perform at his strength events or events where he probably might have liked to do better. And now it's coming down to a comp where, you know, it's the same thing when guys are going for the world title. Like fuck they'd rather win it before pipe because they know like that's littered been littered throughout the history of world titles like there's certain guys that fucking just want to win before pipe and he was probably a guy that wanted to be qualified before pipe and yeah. same with emrod but back to your thing on willie and at chopes i think it also comes down a lot to just personal character because italo came from an extremely similar situation i'm sure to william where he grew up surfing very average waves and then he no went, doubt there's plenty of guys that grew up fucking kelly slater's the perfect example and then they just turn into the best ever and but he, italo didn't but, even turn into like italo just went there and was for like, sure good for sure like, yeah i i get it 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 
it was just cool to see it. You yeah. know, I think Wilco is maybe the only other guy that has openly just come up and gone, I was fucking shitting myself. But he, Wilco swung and he had went, a crack yeah. at a couple of good ones. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was just, it was just refreshing to see. You know, he didn't, he didn't try to, yeah, you can't really hide behind a, a very low heat score. But he, it was, it was just cool. It was like, okay, cool. He fucking knows. He's got some work to do. And it looked kind of in his, my translation of his Brazilian into Australian English was that he's looking to work on his weaknesses. But, Fuck, he might be running out of time. Like he's he's not young anymore. He's he's getting a bit older, and it's he's like twenty third on the fucking world tour. So what do you do? Fall off this year and then go spend a month at Chopes? Like I don't see that happening. Nor do I see him pursuing the QS again. I think the year yeah. that he qualified, he said was his last on the QS, and if yeah. he made it, he made it, and if not, if well, there not. you go. He's going to go out a world tour surfer. So that's if that is the case, that's something to be proud of. And I also heard secondhand. I can't verify this. I don't know if he posted it online or if somebody just heard him say it, but I heard Seabass said that if he can't make it through the CT, he's not going to like chase the QS the rest of his life. I would find it hard to believe that Seabass is going to chase the QE if he falls off. He's just too much of a world tour surfer, like which is uh, is fine. <laughs> it's not a bad problem at all. And it's just going back down to that QE. Uh, fuck, your boards get wider and shorter and especially for that first half of the QS year. Um, you know, Bledo can get fun, but it's usually pretty small and rippable or whatever. But and then US Open is what it is. Like, you're really going to battle through all that shit to then, you know. But uh, what about with the new Challenger series? I know we're kind of making fun of it, but at the same time, it's very clear that there are, I think, seven men's events next year. Maybe you, eight, actually, which would be cool. So, that I mean, you could really just do eight events and, like, for sure. potentially get your spot on yeah. tour. It doesn't seem that grueling. I mean, he wouldn't be the first guy to say, oh, I'm not doing the QE ever again, and then, oh, hang on a minute, I might just do one. Oh, I just got a third here. Mm, I might go and do the next one. You know, like, that would also be fine, but I also, deep down, think it might be hard, you know. For him to just, it's just a different mindset, you know, and he's not 21 anymore and frothing at the mouth. He's fucking a dad and lives in the one of the most idyllic locations in the world. And yeah, I, I, maybe it could just be, again, his his time. He might not he might not have that enthusiasm because it's, as much as the events get better and, and that over the years, which has been great, there's still a different different uh, mindset you know the free surfs of 120 guys and you go from being a top dog to just being another one of the packs because these young kids fucking go who's this old bloke you know what I mean like they're not it's it's that QS is a different kettle of fish and it's getting a, it's getting better as a development league but it's still like got some holes in it for sure yeah and I don't think Seabass would want to fuck with that <laughs> yeah fair enough alright which would be fucked I hope he requalifies he's so good man I'm so pissed off. If he falls off tour, I'll be so cut. He's such a legend and he's such a good surfer. Yeah. But All right, so the last goes. thing that I think we need to get into with Pipe is the Olympic race. Um, first of all, I want to get your thoughts on the Olympics and surfing in it specifically. Um, I think the Olympic dream for certain people was a, a very long-term dream and it was awesome to see that come to life because i know that sort of fernando had been working on that forever like you know he, he he believes in surfing and he believes surfing should be a world sport which i think it kind of already is and it has the ability to be which is awesome and i think it's awesome that you know lesser known countries are going to get the opportunity to perform on the world stage like because to me that's what surfing 
embodies in a way like anyone anywhere can get a board and go rip and that's you know plenty of champions have come from that sort of thing so i think i think that's really cool but i definitely think it's it's fucking up a few of the bigger nations and how they look at surfing and that's been a little a little frustrating from my own perspective i think that potentially we're missing the boat on developing our surfers and that hopefully doesn't have any repercussions in the next five to ten but you know, I think speaking from an Australian perspective, I think I would rather see our resources being spent on the bracket between 15 to 25 years old or even 15 to like 21, you know, really, really nourishing that next crop because this first Olympics is going to come around quick. It's going to come and go. And I really don't think it's going to hold much water. That's just my personal opinion. I could be completely wrong, but I think it's going to end up like tennis. Andy Murray won a gold medal in the tennis. No one gives a fuck. Yeah, same happened with golf. Uh, they recently, I think they were in the 2016 Olympics for the first time, or the first yeah. time in a long time, and somebody won, but it, it, it doesn't mean anything to the people who understand golf. And like Yeah, and I don't necessarily it's, it's like care of, to have people that don't care about surfing or don't know about it to then be saying, like, oh, this is what I reckon, like, sick, dude, like, cool. Like, what we going to turn into the UFC and have 10,000 comments on a post with people that, like, you know, maybe 1% of those commenters might have the physical or theoretical knowledge to actually be able to, like, substantiate their claims. Like, I don't really... Like I said, I think it's sick for someone like Carlos, I think, is a perfect example. I was low-key kind of pulling for him to qualify. Like, someone from Costa Rica, make the Olympics. Like, he'd become a household name and earn a living for his family, and that's all time. Like, there's another avenue for certain people, and that's great for certain countries that maybe don't get the light shone on them as much as the big i don't know what do we have a big three <laughs> america hawaii um south africa brazil australia like yeah. the uh, europe you know like all of those nations in surfing they get the love you know yeah. we got the events we got the love people kids get sponsored like people get opportunities like that's all that's all awesome and and that's really cool but outside of that, a lot of there's a lot of lot of countries that don't get any love, and this is what the Olympics will do. This will create a bit more of a broader spectrum, which is freaking awesome. But yeah, as for the the countries who are already doing pretty well and getting money, and then spending it how they see fit, I think it's yeah. And there's a lot of issues strange. with the whole structure of how the Olympic qualifiers are like decided. And you mentioned Carlos, and obviously I have a soft spot for. Costa Ricans and Carlos specifically because mm. I spent a lot of time there um, and he basically missed his opportunity to qualify for the Olympics because he was chasing the CT yeah uh, that was mainly last year but yep. also this year um, so yeah there there are definitely some inherent issues with it and yeah. then another thing is that like if you're looking at Brazil right now they have three of the top four guys in the world and one of them is not going to be able to surf in the Olympics so you're you know what I mean? You're, you're also forfeiting. Well, yeah, that's another kettle of fish altogether. And I think snowboarding can help us out with that a lot. Like, I don't really care about the performance side of it because there's so many flaws. Like, yeah, if right. you really dug deep into it, you're not going to get the best. You're going to get an Olympic gold medalist, and that's really sick. Like, good on that person. But amongst our circles, yeah. are we really going to say that the guy who won the gold medal in 2020 was better than the guy that won the world title? Yeah, of course not. No fucking way. Yeah. And... That's, you know, it's, fuck, it kind of just makes me tired just thinking about it. Like, it's fucking... Okay, yeah. but the real story with the Olympics is John and Kelly. Right now, John is in eighth place. He's about 3,000 points ahead of Kelly Slater. 
John's obviously been injured for the past five and a half events. Mm. He's hinted at the idea that he might come back and surf pipe, basically just in order to retain his Olympic slot over Slater or potentially Seth Moniz, but most of the kind of talk is around Slater. Yeah. Um, Con Seth. <laughs> so, John, we ha- apparently he surfed a couple weeks ago. That's what uh, John Pizel told us on the pickup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not seen him surfing once since we've been here. Yep. Um, I mean, I guess nobody would really know, but do you think he will surf? Like, if his knee is still a bit tender? Forecast probably says yes. So you think that big and, yeah, you think he'd rather surf it big and good rather than, like, small and whatever? Well, he did, what, was it last year at Insanities, or was that the year before that? Year before. And then he looked kind of sweet, you know. Or no. Knee, knee brace on. Yeah. Big barrels. Yeah. Happy so. as Larry. Like, that's that's pretty much... I think he's more interested in the, the surfing rather than the... Uh, like, I think that will be his deciding factor. You not, think? Not, not the... Not necessarily. He's shown indications of caring about the Olympics a lot. He, yeah. He, he definitely, he definitely, definitely cares, but is he going to want to ruin his knee for the rest of his life for, like, one foot onshore air rampy backdoor? Like... I don't reckon. Yeah, probably not. But if it was like dreamy six to ten, yep. doing chip ins and on the first reef and how well he knows that wave, I think I think he would he'd be licking his absolute chops because ultimately at the end of the day he's a absolutely mad keen frothing surfer. Yep, that's that's his character and he's you know has the skill set to be able to do that. So why, why wouldn't you? But I don't know. I, he's definitely keen on the Olympics. Don't get me wrong, but I think he would be looking at the forecast going fuck yeah. Yep, let me at him. It sounds like Slater, though, is like, well, he's he's waffled a bit, I guess, but he re- really wanted to make the Olympics. Yep. Um, it seems like he wants that to be a, his send-off, but then he's also made it seem like he might not retire this year, despite the fact that he kind of like hinted at that at the beginning of the year. So he- I'm very confused, as I think we all are with, with that. I thought this, this was it, but then in his posting interviews and that, he, he doesn't really say that, which is, fuck, it's fine, I think, like... Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. But I genuinely thought he was... Um, I thought this was it. I, I thought this was his last hurrah and I was getting all like kind of stoked. Like, I'm at Kelly's last events. Like, how cool is this? But I might get to say that again next year. Like, oh, I'm at Kelly's last events again. Like, that's cool. Um, so I don't really know what he's doing. Is he retiring or not? I don't... My gut instinct says no. I think me neither, yeah. he had a good yeah. year on the tour. I think he had a lot of fun, mainly. And yeah. I, and, like, and to me as a viewer, I was kind of... At a point I was in the camp, it's like, dude, just like fucking hang it up. You're not going to win a world title. You're just going to like muddy your legacy. But at yeah. the same time, I don't think he's doing that. I think he's almost just like, this is like nah. a second part of his career. And it's like equally impressive to a point that he's going to be 48 next year and yeah. still have a really strong place on tour. And I think that he's bringing some of the most entertaining surfing still to the CT. It might not be the most like progressive and it might not be that like applicable to the judging criteria but to me it's really fun to watch his heats more than a lot of people well i guess there's like two things i want to say about that is that i definitely think his earlier style of surfing and that generation like in the early 2000s i think that style of surfing is having a renaissance period i think people are frothing on it again which is sick to see and i think that his surfing this year was reminiscent of some of his earlier stuff you know he got back on some surfboards with pointed noses and whatnot, and I think might have even been 
PU constructions at some events, but I'm not too sure about that. They're the same in at Bells. You know, like, and he's, apart from the Goldie where I thought, oh, God, this could be the year that it doesn't happen for him. Every event after that, he he looked really competitive. He looked, yeah. And it shows. He's coming 10th in the world. Like, you no know, matter what you say about the guy, he's, he's fucking doing it. He like, was- he's ahead of, you know, all these other guys. <laughs> and he, he's, he's obviously a lot older. And it's, you know, it's, yeah. It's beyond impressive, actually. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't think you can muddle his legacy, even yeah. if he did do another year and then just whatever just fell off, or you know, it doesn't. It'd be interesting to see though, like where he wants to wrap it up. I actually thought there might have been a chance that when he won Tahiti in twenty sixteen, he might have done it. Mm-hmm. I think Tahiti is a pretty special place for him, and I thought that maybe he might have just gone, you know. It does feel like he's waiting for a specific moment. I do feel like that too. And I think Pipe could represent that specific moment. If, if, if he finaled or obviously won, I think that might encourage his decision. Um, but yeah. Because he everything he does... I know a lot of friends and family are coming out to watch this event and watch him surf, so that could be a sign too. But maybe he doesn't even know. Like, he probably looks at his results too and goes, well, hang on a minute, like... I'm, I am ripping. Like, <laughs> I'm coming 10th in the world. Like I, I've, I've nearly made my goal of making the Olympics. Like that's got to be like a carrot dangling for him. You know, whether or not he makes the Olympics or not, I know he wants to, um, is, is neither here nor there. He still came. He's going to come 10th ish in the world on the CT in a year where there's a lot of people ripping. So that's fucking pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. So I thought the Olympics were going to be our last topic, but I see in your little sheet that you have the injury wildcard potential people for next year, which includes Mikey Wright, Adriano Gisosa and Leonardo Fioravanti. Um, these guys have all had like serious injuries this Mm. year, you could say, and all of them would have legitimate claim. Um, Leo hurt his shoulder again. Mikey was dealing with back pain that spawned from like a Vulcan pipe pro a couple of years ago or last year or whatever. And Adriano is uh, is he still dealing with the knee? Um, yeah, I guess that was the original problem, right? That his knee when he hurt it in Portugal. I don't know if it's it morphed into something else, which can happen. But uh, I believe it was I believe it was the knee, and he's and he's yeah he missed the first four events and the last four events. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so just gut instinct. Assuming all three of these guys would be healthy for the March whatever start at yep. Snapper, yep. who would be getting these two wild cards that are available for the men? Well. They've quite clearly come out, they being the WSL in the last couple of years, and taken away like the injury word, so it's just a wild card. Yep. But I still believe they hang their hat up pretty highly on ratings. Um, and I'm, obviously I'm talking about Mikey and Leo here. I think Adriano's a no-brainer. Again, mm-hmm. like similar with Tyler, it's like world titles talk. He's got one. He's still keen to surf. I think he's still got some good surfing left in him. Like He'll be applying for it, no doubt. Um but then between Mikey and Leo, like Mikey had a higher seed. That, you know, they're, they're both very influential young men in their parts of the world, which I think comes in like down the line. Obviously, it's an entertainment product that the WSL are trying to build, and they're both entertaining surfers for different reasons. Um, and they both have like great support from their sponsors, the same sponsor. Like they're going to have the same people knocking on the door going, hey, you got to get this kid on. Mm. Um, you know, fuck, man, I thought Leo was going to pull some weird shit through Europe and get it done, actually. When he got third in France, I think he got third, um, yeah. I was like, wow, he could easily go third, third, third. 
and, and, and pull, pull it off, which would have been really, really cool. I think Courtney Conalogue did that last year and it was impressive because they were obviously going to give Tyler the wild card for this year and Courtney was coming like 12th or something. And she went like win fifth, ninth or something to finish the year and went from like 12th to 8th. Well, it um, looks like right now he only needs a third at pipe to get past Pedersen Crisanto. So it's well, it's still a thing. Yeah, and he's such a tenacious competitor, man. Like similar to Italo in that, like he, he's not obviously you've seen him charge and broke his back out of pipe, and I don't think that injury hinders him anymore. Like he's he's good to go, and I don't think he really considers injuries as like a thought. You know, like he doesn't look like it holds him back. You know, like he fucked his shoulder and then still went out like six to eight foot box that morning and fucked it again. Like. He he can't he he'll go. Yep. And so, he's clever. He's he's a he's a he's a scrapper. Like he'll he'll I could easily see him scrapping his way to a third. <laughs> okay. But you do think that Adriano and Mikey Wright would be the ones to get those W yep. solo. Yeah, yes, I, I think do. so too. Yeah, I yeah. think so too, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, just but because the Mikey and Leo is hard to split because they're both young, they're both ripping, both had legitimate injuries. But I just think that they, the one thing they they could, which is black and white, which is hard to do in surfing, is that Mikey got injured when he was at a higher seeding point than than Leo. That so. could be their justification, but I it, feel that's like what the I real reason yeah. is because Mikey is more exciting than Leo. Like, Mikey came on to tour. He, he wasn't even a wild card. He was just getting a bunch of wild cards yeah, yeah, into yeah. events, and he was, like, taking out top guys, whereas yeah. Leo actually did that, too, when he was getting wild cards prior to his qualification. But since he's been on tour, he's been a bit lackluster, I would say. I mean, he obviously just did really well in France, but he hasn't really put... Uh, year together that's been super impressive. Yeah, I can't I can't really disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, cool. yeah, I think that covers pretty much everything, and I'm glad because we probably went about four hours, but there's yeah, a lot to talk about. Yeah, that felt like 20 minutes. I'm starting to have fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think we really missed anything. you got to go back into your conspiracy uh, theories, though. There's some good ones down there. I only just, I only just uh, scratched the top of the surface Yeah, you, on that. you left some hints in there. I, I don't yeah, know where I'm, I have to look, but I'm going to start searching. Yeah, well... <laughs> Get back to me if that's your homework. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, uh, it will be exciting to watch Pipeline, and hopefully we will be able to chat again soon about everything that has happened and will happen on the championship and qualifying series. Yeah, awesome. That was fun. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> oh. <laughs>